You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm Jason Mercer, your host today. I'm also TREB's Chief Market Analyst. I want to start off this episode with a famous quote from Benjamin Franklin. There are only two things certain in life, death and taxes. And we know that so much of being a realtor is being out in the community. But of course, as a profession and for many TREB members, a cell phone business, you have to deal with taxes and how to best optimize those taxes for your business. Lucky for us, today we have Cherry Chan on the show to share her real estate accounting expertise. She's been making sense of taxes for investors and realtors and helping them incorporate their businesses since 2003. Now, right off the top, we should emphasize that the views of our guests today do not necessarily reflect the views of TREB, as TREB does not provide tax or legal advice. So we strongly advise listeners to consult with an accountant or a lawyer if you're thinking of forming a personal real estate corporation. But with that said, Cherry, welcome, and thank you very much for taking part in today's episode. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Trap, for having me. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to share some of the tax tips, um, tax tips for real estate agents. No, I think it's great. And, and you know, let's talk about some of the, 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 the frequency, frequently asked finance questions that, that some of our members might have. And, and starting with an exciting one, I think, uh, what are some of the top tax deductions real estate agents might be missing out on? There are a lot. Um, I think the first thing first is that I like to educate my clients, um, everyone actually, from real estate agents or to real estate investors that I primarily work with. I like to educate people that, hey, Income Tax Act allow you to deduct all expenses that you incur for the purpose of earning business income or property income. Uh, there are exceptions. But it start with understanding that hey, as long as long as you can establish the cause and then the um, um, the cause and effect relationship, there is a reason for incurring the expense to earning the income. There's a chance for deduction. Now, leading off from it would be making sure that you keep all the receipts. So I know that I mentioned that the income tax that would have a bunch of exception, but it's important for the real estate agents, the real estate brokers out there to keep all the receipts that they think that they could deduct because no receipts, there's no deduction. If you ever get audited, you deduct something that you're missing a receipt on, unfortunately, you will get disallowed. And the third thing about that is, um, generally speaking, Bank statements, visa statements, credit card statements in general, they're not sufficient support for your expense. You incur an expense, those are not supporting documents in the eyes of CLA. So if you incur $200 at the cake and taking a client out, the $200 bill shown on your visa statement would not qualify as an evidence to support your claim. You actually need to see who goes there and what kind of food you order and the wine or whatever drinks that you order. Um, that is really the three golden rules, like understanding the general deductibility rule, establish the cause and effect relationship, keep the receipt, even though maybe not all of them are all 100% deductible or some of them are not, but make sure that you keep the receipts, uh, the original receipts and not, um, you don't have to keep the original receipt nowadays. You can take a picture and keep the virtual format, but keep the receipt that uh, that's in legible format. Those are the three golden rules. Now, aside from that, there are a bunch of top deductions that real estate agents would not shouldn't miss. Um, 
many of them that would include going back to the general deductibility rules, advertising, office expense, trap membership, uh, as well as um, as well as the commission, uh, sorry, the cut that's being taken by the brokerage, uh, your car, motor vehicle expense, your um, uh, your motor vehicle expense, if you hire a marketing agency, hire an assistant, the payroll, as well as basically everything under the sun that you incur for the purpose of earning the income, that would be tax deductible. Now, a couple of specific ones would include client rebate. If you, um, It's common in the industry that sometimes we thank our client as a, um, as a way to thank our client, we would give some of the commission back um, as an incentive. And if that ever happens, it's important to keep the, re, uh, the documentation that you pay back to the client. And um, so that would also be tax deductible as well. Um, home office expense is also tax deductible provided that you don't have an office directly at your uh, brokerage. So those would be something that you would keep in mind. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no, I, I I think it's great, and 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 definitely you know those sort of you know top of mind you know tax deductions are are, are really important. I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of our members take advantage of them on a regular basis. But I think you know one of the most important things I take from you know this this uh, this first question is the importance of uh, of good record retention and uh, and 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 record keeping to um, you know solidify. Uh, your 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 tax return so that you can have uh, you know an informed discussion with uh, with the CRA if need be. Absolutely. You know, and and the landscape's changed uh, um, you know quite a bit for for realtors over the last few years with the the introduction of of personal real estate corporations as an option um, for 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 TREB members. But you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, when is it the right time for for a realtor to to consider setting up a prec or a personal real estate corporation? Are there indicators in their business that they should be looking for that might you know sort of see them leaning one way versus the other? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not necessarily in their business. It basically goes back to their particular situation, tax situation. Everyone's different. Some people are full-time all in building a team, whereas some people are part-time, but they are still making a really good, decent commission income. Uh, and they also have a full-time job on the side. So everyone's situation is different. I, so there is no one size fits all answer per se. Like, oh, you make 100,000 gross commission income, then you should set up a corporation. That it's not quite worked that way. Now, so going back to explaining how to determine whether you should set up a PRAC or not, um, essentially, it, there is something we need to introduce this concept called tax integration in Canada. What it means is basically, um, if you, the tax income tax act is designed in a way that if you earn the income in your personal name, you pay say $10,000 of tax. If you were to set up a corporation and take every single dime out, uh, to your personal name, the tax between the corporation, what corporation has to pay and what you personally would have to pay because when you take money from the corporation, you also have to pay personal income tax. The combine of the personal and the corporation tax, the, the sum of those two would equal more or less the same as if you were to earn the income directly in your personal name. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have to take everything from the corporation to support your personal lifestyle, then essentially there is no tax benefit to set up a corporation. 
Now, going back to the particular situ like a, a situation, I always use an example. If you make $150,000, you net after you deduct all your expenses. I'm not talking about gross top line. I'm talking about bottom line. After you deduct all the expenses, you make $150,000. In your personal name, if you report it in your personal name, roughly, you would have to pay $50,000 personal tax. Now, if you set up a corporation, you pay 12.2% because you own a small business, you earn that 12.2, you pay 12.2% in the corporation. And then you take out every single dime in your personal name. The combine of that 12.2% and your, what you have to pay in your personal name would more or less equal that $50,000. That's just a given. Now, however, if let's say you don't need that much coming out from the corporation, you really only need $60,000 annually to support your daily lives that are non-deductible. So for example, to pay for your home mortgage or your home property tax, or maybe your, um, your music entertainment, your gym membership, all these, or travel expenses. So let's say you just need $5,000 a month, which is equivalent to $60,000. That $60,000, in order to support that lifestyle, you need to take out about $67,000 dividend from the corporation. So from not by not taking everything from your corporation, and only taking out enough to support your personal lifestyle, all of a sudden from that calculation, it works out that you have an extra of $25,000 in left tax saving, left in the corporation, not saving tax deferral, left in the corporation to allow you to invest more for yourself. Instead of paying to CLA, you now have an extra $27,000 in the corporation left over for you to invest. So that's where the difference comes in. If you need all the money in your personal life from your business to support your personal life, you have private school, you have like hockey to pay for, then there is no tax saving. You need everything. But if you can live within the, um, if you take less than what you earn or what you net in the corporation, then there is a tax advantage. I don't know if that kind of makes sense to you. I, I think it very much does. And, and, and it gets back to your point at the outset, to, you know, in, in answering this question that, you know, everyone's situation is a little bit different. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's important then for, for individual realtors to sort of sit down and sort of think about, you know, that line between, you know, their business and, and their, and their, and their personal needs and, and, and map it out with a, with a professional such as yourself to, to sort of think about what the, uh, what the best option would be. But I think it's, you know, given that it's a rel still relatively uh, a new option, um, you know, I, I think it's very interesting for our listeners to sort of think about those, those concepts and sort of think about that balancing act between, you know, the, 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 the personal and the, and the business side of things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, thinking about, you know, at the outset, we talked about top deductions and, and you mentioned you're talking about, you know, office space and, and, and that type of thing. I would argue that, you know, uh, a, a key office space, quote unquote, for a lot of our members is their vehicle. Um, mm. and, and so, you know, thinking about, uh, um, you know, another decision that, that uh, our members may be faced with, um, what, what, what conditions might be better to say lease a vehicle versus rent a vehicle? And, and does that change if you've decided to um, uh, use a prep or not? Yeah, so lots of decision factor if a prep comes into place. But um, let's go back to um, should I lease or should I buy a vehicle first? Um, 
um, when when a client comes to me and they ask, oh, should I lease or should I buy a vehicle? Um, you have to understand that accountant usually doesn't have all the type the relevant information to help you to make the decision. Sure. Um, we could tell you how lease is being deducted versus how uh, owning a car is being deducted. They are deducted differently in the eyes of CLA. Now, for example, if you were to buy, lease a car, you can lease a car and up to um, there is a maximum of $800, $800 monthly lease cost would be tax deductible. Now, um, on the other hand, uh, but then, sorry, going back to the lease example, if you pay, like you pay $500 a month, I have an, a Honda Odyssey, it's $550 a month or something. Let's just round it down to $500. For the full year, I have $6,000. So I can deduct $6,000 multiplied by my business usage of it. So I use like 90%. So 6,000 times 90%, I could deduct $5,400 lease payment. Basically, year one is the same, year two is the same, year three is the same, year four is the same, straight line, same amount of deduction. Whereas if you were to purchase a car, whether you finance it or you purchase it outright, you're deducting it differently. So the maximum that you can deduct on a vehicle that is not a EV, that doesn't qualify for the accelerated, um, the, um, a different class of deduction, the maximum you can deduct is $30,000 plus tax. So in my Honda Odyssey example, it is 30,000 plus 3,900, 13% tax. So I, the maximum I can deduct is 33,900, even though I pay $40,000 for the car. Right. Even if for someone who go out and buy a Porsche and it costs $100,000, the maximum you can deduct is still that $33,900 that's allowed by the Income Tax Act. Now, when we deduct it, we take the $33,900 times 30%. So the 30% is the first year's deduction. So if you take that, take 30,000 times 30% a year, the first year you can deduct like $9,000. That's a lot more than the $6,000 that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. But then the second year, you take you need to take that 33,900 minus the 9,000. And then the residual amount, you multiply by 30%. Essentially, every single year, the amount is going lower and lower. You right. get a big write-off the year that you purchase a vehicle. And then over time, it grinds down. So that's the difference between buying a car versus leasing a car. Now, then go, it goes by, is there a difference between which one is more beneficial from a tax perspective? It goes back to your particular car situation. Uh, I actually did a, recently did a YouTube video on my channel say, uh, analyzing my own Honda Odyssey uh, in terms of whether we should buy it or we should lease it. And then what are our long-term objective? Because at the end of the day, when you purchase it, you still have a, a vehicle at the end of the term. Whereas if you lease it, you don't have a vehicle at the, at the end of the term. And... To some people, Honda Odyssey, right now it's hot because of COVID. People are not getting the cars in. So I can actually resell it for, I don't know, $20,000, $30,000, even though my car, I purchased my car for $40,000 and I've used it for three, four years. So it goes back to the vehicle resale value as well. So from that perspective, you're welcome to go to my uh, YouTube channel and look up the buy versus lease vehicle. And it goes, it gives a really granular discussion on how to analyze a particular deal. That's very interesting. Now, we had also talked about, um, are there any 
decisions you have to make or ways that you might sort of treat those decisions differently, whether you're talking about this in terms of a prec or whether you're talking about this from a, from a personal standpoint? Absolutely. So uh, if you were to purchase a vehicle in your personal name um, and then you use it to operate a prac, so you can claim there are different ways to claim it against the prac. And typically, CLA offers, uh, allows taxpayers to claim a mileage per kilometer uh, against the prac without asking many questions. And then the allowance that you can get as re a reimbursement from your professional corporation, realtor corporation, is not taxable in your personal name. Now, you can also choose to claim the, uh, you can claim the, um, the allowance. And then you can, if your allowance is not large enough to cover your operating expense of your auto vehicle, you can take a further deduction as an employment expense. So that in your personal name to further lower your personal income taxes. So it's important, yes, claiming the mileage is easy because everyone talks about it. But if that mileage allowance at 59 cents, 61 cents is not sufficient for you to recoup all your costs, you can take a further deduction, but you, can, you have to include the allowance that you get from your corporation as an income and then deduct the expense accordingly. So it would allow you to create a bigger expense to deduct against your um, dividend income that you draw from your corp or the employment salary that you draw out from your corp. Now, people often ask whether you should set up a corporation to, no, well, whether you should own your uh, vehicle in the corporation or in your personal name. Um, the general sense, the general belief in the accounting industry is that you should always own it in your personal name. Now, is it true that's if that's the case? Because I mean, owning a, a car could be really expensive, especially if you were to finance it. If you were to finance it, it hits your credit report. And every time you qualify for financing, because I work with a lot of investor, they always ask, hey, like, what's this debt? And sometimes they actually ask you, can you pay off, uh, pay off your car, car altogether to qualify you for financing? So sometimes it is beneficial to set it, to actually pay, have it pay for and put it in the name of the corporation for financing reason. Now, what are the tax implications then? If you have it in the, in the PRAC and have the PRAC deducting every expense, 100% of the expense, typically the car is not use 100% of the time for business. Right. You may argue as 80%, 90%, depending on your particular business, because some people work, um, uh, work as a realtor part-time. So if you work uh, full-time, say you own, um, you use your vehicle 90% or 95% of the time for your business, then um, CLA would still tax you on the availability of the car to you for that 5%. It's something called a standby charge that you have to report on your income, that personal income tax return. Is it better or is it worse? It goes back to the percentage that you're using for, uh, for the, using the car for business use. If you're using the car for business use and it is uh, substantial, 90% and above, then it's, it doesn't cause a lot of tax benefit and there could be a reason to set it up in the corporation. But if you're using the car 20% of the time for business, then it's totally not advisable to put it in the corporation. 
I see. Well, wow, there's a lot to think about uh, uh, from the vehicle perspective. And I guess it makes sense because, you know, that, that vehicle is so important to, you know, the day-to-day -day operation of a, of a business as a, as, a, as a realtor. So again, lots to think about. And I, I, I'm sure a lot of people will, uh, after listening to this episode, will check out your YouTube video on the, uh, on the topic as well. Now, one of the other, I mean, we're talking a lot about that, uh, you know, the difference between, you know, prex and, and, uh, and, 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 and otherwise. Um, and, and I guess one of the, the topics that often comes up is, is, is sort of compensation and, and, and how a realtor ought to pay themselves. And my guess is, based on our conversation thus far, is, is uh, you know, your top line answer is it depends. Um, so is there, <laughs> are, are, there, are there different ways that, 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 number one, you know, realtors could pay themselves a salary, a dividend, et cetera? And, and in what cases might one approach be, be better than another? That's always a, one of the most common questions that I get asked as well. Should I pay myself a salary or a dividend? Um, um, just for the record, the Income Tax Act, again, is designed in a way that whether you pay yourself a salary or you pay yourself a dividend, uh, the combined tax implication between the corporation and your personal income tax would be more or less the same. Now, the only catch is that when you pay yourself a salary, the corporation would have to make a contribution a CPP Canadian Pension Plan contribution, which is now quite a bit, um, the maximum that could be contributed is about $6,000 between employer portion and employee portion. So that is the additional, the main difference between paying yourself a salary versus dividend, because you, the corporation would need to contribute $6,000 roughly to CPP. Now, don't get me wrong, when you were operating as a sole proprietor, you're already contributing double CPP to um, to the government already. Uh, it's just being calculated as part of your tax payable at the, at, uh, when you file your T1 tax return um, June 15 of the following year. So that's, uh, that's part of it. If you don't mind paying into CPP and if you want to think, if you, your priority is to get the CPP income uh, when you get to the age of 60 or 65, then by all means, you need to continue to contribute to CPP. You can't stop. Otherwise, you will just be getting a portion of it. You won't get the full amount. Now, um, then the other decision factor is that salary is a recurring thing. It's, there is some recurring obligation that you have to pay into on a monthly basis. That CPP that I mentioned, the tax withholding that I mentioned, um, Sorry, that I haven't mentioned, but we uh, the, the corporation would have the responsibility to remit the combination of the CPP and tax withholding from your salary to CIA on a monthly basis, on a regular basis. So that extra step of filing could cause a lot of pain to a lot of real estate agents who don't have um, who don't have a system in place to remind them or who, who don't have an assistant to help them to do all these filing. Now, in terms of dividend, dividend doesn't give you CPP. That, uh, sorry, CPP is not required to be paid on dividend. And all these monthly withholding, filing with uh, the government is not required on dividend. You can draw out $5,000 today and call it a dividend. And then you can do a reconciliation at the, at the end of the year and see how much you have received. And then you pay the taxes when you file your personal income tax return the first year. The second year onwards, if you owe a lot, just similar to uh, what happened in the past when you operate your business in your personal name, you would have to then pay uh, quarterly installment, uh, 
uh, to CLA for the tax that you would owe. Otherwise, you would get thing on interest payment. So that's the difference between salary and dividend. Now, the last thing is that salary also increase your RSP contribution. To some people, RSP contribution matters and they want to save in their RSP. So to continue to allow yourself to qualify to contribute to RSP, you have to pay yourself a salary. And then dividend would not allow you to increase, would not increase your RSP contribution group. Those are really the decision factor, the monthly obligation, um, whether you want to contribute to CPP and then the ability to grow your RSP contribution limit. Those are the decision factor, whether you should pay yourself a salary or dividend. Interesting. And my guess is for a lot of individuals, it's not an either or, like, is there some sort of blend that, that uh, the people look at? And does the, does the RSP sort of fit into that? Like you're thinking about sort of maxing out your RSP. So there may be a salary component to, to facilitate that. And then there's also a dividend component or... Oh, absolutely. Some people choose to use a combination of it. And um, I believe the RSP maximum you would be able to get a RSP maximum contribution limit with um, a salary amount I don't remember off the top uh, right now, but um, essentially uh, you can pay yourself that that maximum amount to trigger the maximum RSP contribution. Right. Uh, and then above and beyond, you can pay yourself a dividend. Is there any tax advantage of doing that? By that time, there is no really tax advantage or disadvantage between the two. Now, another thing that I want to mention is that people often pay themselves a salary um, to qualify for financing because sometimes our real estate investors uh, real estate agents are also real estate investors a lot of right. the time. So they want to pay themselves a salary. And sometimes, not all the time, the banks are getting smarter. In the past, I've got um, mortgage brokers, mortgage agents telling me that, no, I got to pay myself a salary. Salary would allow me to qualify for more financing. I don't know if that still holds uh, the truth, but that's what I was told. That's very interesting. I think it's an interesting point. So I'm glad we, we followed up on that. I'm just thinking about, so you know, a, a realtor has worked with you and thought about their various options, you know, prep versus not, and they decide, you know, I'm going to set up a, a personal real estate corporation. Uh, and, and one of the things they're looking to do to obviously facilitate that is, is find financing. Um, and, and so if you're a realtor, you're looking to set up a personal real estate corporation, how do you go about getting financing to, to cover off some of those, you know, initial and, and ongoing costs that will be, you know, associated with that? So it depends on what the realtors are doing and how they're growing the business. Uh, from a bis business perspective, if they um, they run their business in a pack and then now they're expanding and they want to set up an office um, to get financing for your business expansion, it could easily be achieved through the help of BDC, the Business Development Bank of Canada. That's right. I, I believe that's the name because I work with them a lot on my own business as well. Now. Um, for a lot of real estate agents there, typically the reason why they set up the corporation is because they have a really successful business to begin with. And if they uh, set up the corporation, they want to be able to enjoy paying 12.2% tax, which means that they can have like over 30% of tax deferral between personal and corporation tax. And so they typically have that 30% deferral saved up in the corporation and have nothing to do with it. And they want to invest in something. And typically because they are by trade, they're real estate agents. So right. they buy property, investment properties, and they want to be able to buy and leverage and borrow money from the bank to pay for the mortgage instead of paying them all upfront. 
And typically, if they want to invest in the product, that's allowed. Uh, it's just that um, we have to tell the bank that, hey, now I'm buying the property in the product. Now, um, the, the downside of buying a property in the corporation, I guess, is that the typical uh, typical average mortgage broker on the street would tell you, oh, the bank would not work with the PRAC. The bank would not want to work with a corporation at all. It's a lot more difficult to work with a corporation. So, well, I can tell you from experience that there are multiple banks and all the banks actually work with corporation. They may not allow the mortgage brokers. It's not fair to them. I don't understand why, but sometimes they don't actually not sometimes, most of the time they don't work with the mortgage brokers, independent mortgage brokers to get to offer financing through the corporation. They rather work through the branch and you would be able to get right. a financing directly inside the corporation. Another thing is that if you have a prac, you're earning active business income. And sometimes the bank do not like to lend money on residential mortgage to an active business company. And that is just the... The, the bank's rules. It has nothing to do with tax or, or uh, tax implication. So at that time, we would just tell the client, maybe you should set up a second corporation just for holding company purpose, just to hold real estate investment. And that is what I would do. And if you have a holding company, typically the bank would, uh, would be able to use your PRAC income to qualify you for financing in the holding company. I see lots to think about there, and and you know we've we've talked we've covered a lot of ground today in terms of uh, in, in terms of setting up a prec and deciding whether to do so in the first place, and and uh, you know right down to thinking about how you might invest in real estate um, as you move through your, uh, your your real estate career. So you know, Cherry, I want to thank you very much for for coming on the the, the show today and, and bringing your knowledge to uh, our realtor listeners, and I'm sure. All of our uh, listeners out there today have taken plenty of notes on how to improve uh, um, their own, you know, financial situation and think about, you know, what decision they may make uh, a relative to, to personal real estate corporation. So again, I want to thank you very much for for coming on the uh, the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I hope it's not too boring. I hope people are still listening right now. Oh, I, I think it's far from boring, and I think uh, uh, our listeners today will have got a lot of information. Uh, from that. So again, we really appreciate it. And, and to those listening, don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Trev's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks to all of you for joining and we'll see you next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.